to say, Emma and I had a, a, a lovely break. Thank you. Um, wasn't quite what we expected, but it was uh, great to have that break and then come back and be together on Friday night as we prayed as a church. I don't know about you, if you were there, I thought it was a really powerful time. I felt God met with us in some very real ways, yeah. And, uh, you know, prayer is such an important thing. I w- yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we don't have another half night of prayer now for three months, but I would love to encourage you, make sure you're at the next one. And uh, uh, they are significant occasions, but we have an hour of prayer every month. And so just in a few weeks' time, we'll have another hour of prayer in early February. And uh, uh, they're, they're key moments. They're key moments in our journey together. Um, great moments of unity. They're great moments of meeting with God, of being together with one another. And uh, I thought it was a precious time. Thank you to all of those of you who are involved in that in one way or another or in leading it. Um, I also just want to make a comment on uh, Nathan's preach last week. Uh, how many of you were here last Sunday? Okay, so a good proportion of us, good proportion of us. Thank you. Um, I just thought it was really important. I thought it was such a significant preach. And we, we, obviously, as elders, we talk about where we're going in our preaching and all that sort of stuff. I, I was listening to it uh, while on a journey uh, and uh, uh, was driving back from somewhere and uh, was uh, getting really quite animated uh, in the car. I was all by myself, so that, that makes it easier, doesn't it? It'll be, if you're ever sitting in a traffic jam and you're animated... Um, and you've got the windows open, that's not such a good idea. Uh, but I said, go on, Nathan, preach it, and things like that. And uh, thinking, oh, hang on, anybody watching? No, I'm okay. Um, I thought it was an important word for us as a church, a really important word for us as a church, time to build again. And uh, even just hearing some yeses and watching some people nodding their heads clearly resonated. If you didn't listen to it, I want to encourage you Download it. It's on our website. Download it. That's why it's there. Actually, just while we're doing this, can we just thank those people who do our sound and our, our, our web and making sure it gets uploaded? I guess that's, um, who is it? It's Ben, it's Thomas, uh, it's David, uh, Joe, Roger, Gordon. I think that's the team, if I remember correctly. Apologies if I've forgotten somebody to say. But uh, can we just thank them because they do a fantastic job? just fall over that fold-back monitor and move it out of the way. Okay, well, this week we are back into our series in the book of Daniel. You may want to turn up Daniel chapter 5, which is where we've got to. If you're not quite sure where the book of Daniel is, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Um, somewhere around there. It's Old Testament. You get through all the the long books, and then there's a whole load of uh, shorter books, and it's sort of one of the earlier shorter books towards the back end of the Old Testament. And um, <laughs> I hope that helps you find it. Uh, um, I'll give you a page number, but it makes no difference because you haven't got my Bible. So um, We're in the book of Daniel. And uh, the reason we're doing this series is, as uh, we've uh, used on this slide, we're exploring something about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, and as revealed as we are working through this book of Daniel. And there's some amazing themes uh, in it. 
And it's really quite a challenging book. And this week we have got to Daniel chapter 5. Now, uh, a quick bit of background. In fact, we're not actually going to read the whole of the chapter, so I'm going to do a bit of background and then tell a bit of the story, and then we'll read some of what happens as well. Uh, The first thing to note is this. Nebuchadnezzar's dead. And his son, Belshazzar, has now become king. Uh, Nathan Jules, where are you? Oh, they're not here. Not a bad name for a a son, is it, either? Just drop that one in, Nathan, when you're listening to this. Uh, Belshazzar. And and, uh, Belshazzar is king, and he decides to throw a party. And uh, they're having quite a party, and as part of that, they decide to use the captured goblets, uh, silver and goldware, from the temple. And uh, during this party, Belshazzar then worships the gods of gold and silver, bronze and stone. He, 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 he denies with the very elements from the temple of Almighty God in his presence and in his use, he denies the God behind them and worships the gods of gold and silver. And then something really Weird happens. You know, if, if you want to think of something weird happening, this has got to be right up, I reckon, in the top ten weird things. A hand appears and starts to write on the wall. Do you know, I reckon if you were pretty tipsy at this party, you would sober up pretty quick at that point. I reckon no matter how good a party it was, It'd be one of those moments where you'd go, oh, what on earth? It's just going to be one of those moments, isn't it? A hand appears and starts writing on the wall. It's like, okay, wake up moment. Something weird is going on here. Nobody's going to believe me when I tell them, but something weird is going on here. And they, they can't work out what the writing is. They don't understand it. It's not a language they understand. They, don't, they can't work out what's going on. And so Belshazzar tries, he goes to his wise men, his magicians, says, hey, guys, tell me what's going on. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. And then the queen remembers Daniel. And she says to Belshazzar, there's a guy I know. Let's get him in. And we're going to join the story at verse 17. Daniel has come. And it says this. Then Daniel answered the king. You may keep your gifts for yourself. The king had offered whoever could translate what was happening up to a third of his richest, highest position in the land. I mean, just phenomenal promises. You'll have a gold chain placed around your neck. and be made the third highest ruler of the kingdom. Daniel answers the king and says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. A king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, 
he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed, deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, you've not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his life, in, in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel passing. This is what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed round his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It's a sobering passage, isn't it? One moment you're having a party with some friends and in that moment your heart is revealed your arrogance declared <laughs> I'm a great ruler <laughs> I worship the gods that I choose I determine my destiny and God who sits in heaven looks down and says enough And a hand appears and writes on the wall. And then God's prophet comes in and speaks into the situation, reveals the heart of God, the word of God. And that word is then fulfilled and everything changes. The end of a rule, the end of a kingdom. Huh. Huh. Wow. Belshazzar just, just suddenly, that's it. It's gone. Your kingdom's gone. There's no, no debate about it. Your kingdom is over. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Bam. That night, he's slain. <laughs> and Darius, the Mede, he takes over. Babylon's changed. Everything's changed. You know, a Mede re- leading it. He's king. He's ruling it. Kingdom's divided. So, Father, we ask that as we consider this word, help us not to just treat it like a story, but help us to see it as a revelation of who you are. 
we ask be revealed in our hearts and lives. We ask let your word take root <coughs> deeply. Let it yield great fruit. The glory and honor of your name. Speak with us, Lord. Talk with us, Lord. Just as we've enjoyed fellowship with you in worship, in communion, in fellowship with one another later on. Come and speak with us through your word now, we ask. For your glory and honor, Lord. Amen. Amen. So what is... What are we to learn from this account? What, what, what is this account all about? Well, you may have guessed I'd like to draw a theme from it to do with humility. Hence the title. See, let's just go back a moment. When Nathan talks about it's time to build again, because of perhaps of my training, uh, my trained commercially as a, a, a chartered surveyor. When I hear build, I think foundations. Just how I am. When I think building church, I think what are the foundations you're building on? I'm not talking about building church buildings now. I'm talking about the foundations, the values of the church. Foundations are so important. They determine the shape, the size, the structure, the use of a building. They determine its layout. You get the foundations in the wrong place, and the building won't go up properly. Happened many years ago with our church in Bracknell up the road. <laughs> They'd already started putting the walls up when they suddenly realized that one of the foundations was in the wrong place. And if they kept on going, the roof wouldn't have joined up when they got to putting the roof on. They had to rip down a whole section of wall. Tens of thousands of pounds of materials wasted. The foundations had to be dug out again. and Relayed in the right position. Foundations are really important. And you know, we've talked about foundations. What are our foundations as a church? We've developed some language around it in terms of foundations of the grace of God, of being disciples, that it's actually about who we are, not just about what we do, but it's about who we are. It's about relationship with God, of having a kingdom mentality, of looking to see kingdom advance through all that we are and all that we do, of Walking with the Spirit. These are, these are key foundations in our church. It's part of who we are. We've talked about the way we want to feel as a church. Last year, we spent the year uh, going through uh, four words being, about being really real, being genuine, about being thankful, about being uh, generous, about being courageous. Uh, all of this, though, has assumed something. And assuming something is always a dangerous thing to do. And it's this, we have assumed that we are clear that we approach our relationship with God both individually and corporately with humility. And today we, we just want to underline that as we hit this passage which is so provocative, so challenging. We want to underline actually, how are we doing in humility do we understand what it is? Are we living out lives of humility? Humble before Almighty God? Over the last few months, Dave Burnham's has been helping us as elders by writing out some of the history of our church. 
And we've realized that actually there have been seasons in the history of our church where pride has become an issue. Pride in our achievements, in being a big church, in having a great building. Pride in some of our ministries. Pride perhaps in being the biggest church or the in-church in town. Pride in thinking perhaps we're the best church in town or the in-crowd or having the best teachers or leaders or community projects or whatever it may well else be. When you actually look at some of our history, and not all of our history at all, it's very easy to see actually how pride has crept in at times. And of course, pride has a, a bedfellow. And it's this, it's ego. It, Ego? What's ego mean? Years and years and years ago, I was at the Stonely Bible Week. Some of you even may have been at it. I remember somebody saying, ego stands for something. It stands for edge God out. That's right. Ego is it's a bedfellow with pride. It's why we say, hey, we're more important than God. And we edge God out of our lives. By thinking we've got the answers, by thinking we're, we're the business, we're, we're the bee's knees, we are the ones who know what we're about, we're, look at our success, look at our... However, no, 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 hold, hold, hold on a moment. And I believe over this last season, God has been rooting pride out of us as a church, individually and corporately, showing us how we need to let it go. That actually we've got nothing to brag about, apart from the greatness of God. Pride requires confession and repentance. And for some of us, even today, we're going to need to do just that. Confess where pride has got a wrong hold of our lives. And repent of it before Almighty God as we will see why. So I believe in this season that as we look to start building the walls, let's build again. Let's not forget where we stand. We stand humbled before Almighty God. And so I want to draw three very simple things from this passage to help us think about how we can grow in humility. And the first is this, that humility starts with understanding who God is. That's where humility starts. When we get a glimpse of who God is, we start to understand who we are. As we understand the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the nature of who he is, his holiness, his perfectness, his sinlessness. As we consider the power and authority with which he has and how he holds the world. As we gaze upon his majesty. I think just then we start to understand how significant, sorry, how insignificant Mankind is. We start to understand our place before Almighty God. Yes, made for relationship with Him, made to know Him, made to enjoy Him, 
different in that sense to any of the other of, uh, animals of creation, made for relationship. I'm brought into that relationship through the shed blood of Jesus that we've just been celebrating. Brought into that relationship. All the, the, the stuff which messed up the relationship, dealt with at the cross of Christ. Wonderful. But you know, it's very easy to forget who's God. To either make God smaller and bring him down to our scale, make him more manageable. To box him in a bit and say, well, you've got to behave in this way or that way or the other way. You've got to be like this, God. He goes, no, 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 no. no. Get a big picture. He's a God who's jealous for relationship with us. Jealous for his creation. He desires relationship. That's why he allowed Jesus to die on the cross. You're not going to just let that happen if you're casual about relationship, are you? Oh, they don't really matter. I could just start another world. I can make another man. Get it right this time. No, no, no. Verse 23. Verse 22 and 23. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of your father's story, you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Then goes to explain what that means. And then at the end of that verse, but you did not honor the Lord who holds in his life, in his hand, your life and all your ways. Do we honour God in that way? Do we honour him as the one who holds in his hand our life? Who numbers our days? Who determines our end? Who can bring our life just like that to an end? Do we see him in that way? Who do you think God is? How do you view him? Do you see the greatness of God? Do you try and understand something of the greatness of God? Or are you trying to contain him? Are you trying to limit him? Are you trying to tell him how he needs to behave? What he needs to do? How he needs to think? It'll be reflected in how we See, things such as worship. Is, is my life worship or is just worship Sunday morning? If worship is just Sunday morning, then I'm, cont- I'm saying basically I don't need to think about who God is the rest of the week. Well, he's saying, no, I'm after the whole of your lives. I'm after you 24-7. Worship isn't about just singing songs. Songs are really important. Songs are expressing something of the greatness of God, encouraging one another in the purposes and plans of God and in understanding who he is. Please, I'm not putting that down. But we can't ignore the other, uh, whatever it is, 167 hours of the, of the week. Is my life given over to worship? What about the Word of God? Do you know, I, I, many years ago I was helping somebody and they said, well, my Bible doesn't say that. 
And I said, what do you mean your Bible doesn't say that? Well, they said, I said we were talking through a pastoral situation. I was bringing some counsel to them. They said, where's the Bible say that? Oh, my Bible doesn't say that. I've never seen that in my Bible. So I took them to that point, and they go, oh, I don't think I've ever actually read that part of the Bible before. Well, if we don't read the Bible, then we're not going to know what the Bible says. And if we don't know what the Bible says, we're not going to understand who God is because he's revealed through his word. Others of us may read it and go, oh, no, I don't need to worry about that. I can ignore that bit of the Bible. God's not jealous for my love. God doesn't mind if I worship other things. Want to bet? He does. What you worship, what you celebrate, what you give yourself to, what I give myself to, God's jealous for our energy. He's jealous for our focus. Saying, if you're really my kids, if you're really my family, if you're really my children, hey, I'm after your focus. I'm after your attention. I want your heart. I don't just want 30 minutes or an hour a week. He's a jealous God. You have to be careful using that phrase nowadays because you can put the wrong ideas behind that. He's jealous in the sense of he's passionately wanting relationship with his creation. That's you and me. He's passionate. Do we see the greatness of God? Do we spend time understanding the greatness of God in worship, in the word, in, in, in thinking on him, in building and growing relationship with him? Or have we decided in our hearts, no, I'll contain him. I'll manage how I see him. The second thing, it's humility. humility. Humility starts by when we understand the greatness of God. The second thing is this. Humility is a heart issue. Do you know, you can see the greatness of God in the Word. You can understand it reading um, the Bible. You can understand it through talking to other people. But actually, ultimately, humility arises when something happens in our heart, not just our minds. There are multiple passages in the Bible where God humbles people to see what's going on in their heart. Deuteronomy 8, 2 Kings 22, Psalm 55, 2 Chronicles 34, just to name a few which you may want to look at another time. Humility is a heart issue. It's not about outward performance. It's not about how I appear. It's not about how I come across. It's about what's going on in here. Humility isn't something that can be forced on you. It's a choice. It starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. It's a heart issue. Say, how how do I see myself? Heart issue by the grace of God. Because of the grace of God, understanding that almighty God, perfect in all his ways, wants relationship with me. Wow. 
<laughs> Me? Yeah, you. Each and every one of us. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I don't deserve this. I deserve enmity. I deserve punishment. I deserve judgment. That's what I deserve. Wow, the grace of God wins me. But it needs to win my heart, not just my mind. It needs to win my heart. Humility is a heart issue. It needs to flow out of the heart. How's our heart today? How's your heart today? Strong and healthy, I hope, in a physical sense. Well looked after because you're doing whatever the latest device is on the radio or TV. I can't remember what you're meant to eat now. Five different coloured bits of food a day or whatever, whatever, whatever. As you can tell, I take all that stuff really seriously. Um, I have a wife who's very good at making sure I do. What states your heart in with God? Is it humble before him? Soft and tender, malleable? Is it healthy? Or are you keeping it back from him, saying, no, 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 no. You can't have my heart. You haven't really got my heart. I may say I'm interested in you. I may be trying to walk the walk, but... Yeah, you can't, heart's too much, heart's too much. And God's going, no, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want all of you. My heart's the wellspring of our lives. I want all of you. It's a heart issue. So humility starts as we understand who we are by understanding who God is. That's a heart issue. And finally, it is actually a choice as well. Micah 6 8. What does God require of us? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's a choice. To walk humbly before God, it's a choice, it's a decision. Yes, the heart needs to be won over. Yes, we need to understand that God is totally trustworthy and great and awesome and mighty, so we're happy to submit ourselves to him in every way. But it's also a choice. The Bible reveals it time after time again. I mean, verse 22 here, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. You see, Belshazzar had a choice. He could humble himself or he could decide that he was the boss. He was the king after all. He ruled a mighty empire. He needed to humble himself before almighty God. And he didn't. And because of what he did... Because his heart was not resolved, because he wasn't prepared to recognize who God was, and he wasn't prepared to make those choices, God says, enough. That's the end. That's the end. Oh, mighty king. Ha! You're not so mighty any longer, are you? You're dead. 
That may seem really harsh. That's the reality of the situation. He wasn't prepared to recognize who God was. And God says, no, I'm not going to leave you just to continue. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to put somebody else in place. God decides who rules. Because he is the great I am. Because he is the Lord of all lords. Yeah. And uh, Mark referred to you know, what's happening in our nation at the moment. <laughs> Understand this. This is not a political comment I hasten to add. But any government has to still stand before Almighty God. And he's going to have to give an account. And God can blow on a government and it's gone. God can blow on a king and a kingdom and it no longer exists. And we need to recognize that exactly the same applies in each of our lives. God is calling us to understand and to walk who he is and to walk humbly before him. Can you see how this is such an important foundation? Everything else comes off this. How are we doing with our humility? Paul, writing to the church in Rome, in chapter 12, verse 3, says this, Don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. <laughs> in other words, he's saying, walk humbly. In 1 Peter 5, 5, we're told to clothe ourselves with humility because God... What's God do? He opposes the proud. Picture that. Clothe yourself with humility. What's that look like? Well, in the morning when you put your clothes on, make those choices. I'm going to walk humbly before God today. And for as long as those clothes are on you, continue to do so. And if you wear clothes when you're in bed at night, I don't want to know whether you do or not. Make sure you keep the humility on as you put the clothes on as you go to bed. And when you change in the morning, clothe yourself with humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud. He brings the proud low. If you want to be brought low, ignore this. If you want to know God's hand on your life in a powerful way, in a way which may be shocking, God opposes the proud then just ignore this. Ignore, ignore it. Don't let humility grow. My friends, it's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing. Look what happened to Belshazzar. Let's walk humbly before God. Let's make good, healthy choices. Let's make sure our heart stays healthy. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let, let his word speak to us powerfully. Let's not play games with his word. Let's devote our lives to worship and the glory of God, not just a few minutes or a few hours a day or a week. Friends, I believe God has... And his amazing grace is on us. We've seen people getting saved. 
having impact in our community. We are resolving our past, which is great. Oh, wonderful things. I believe that word Nathan brought on Sunday last week is a, is a provocation to us. Yes, let's start building the walls. But friends, please let's make sure we're building them on good foundations. Foundations which start with understanding who we are before Almighty God. Psalm 25 verse 9 tells us that God guides the humble. We need to be guided by God. He directs our path that way. Let's be a people who understand who he is. We've got a big picture view of God. Don't try and box him in. We keep our hearts soft and tender before him. Don't try and control him. We make healthy choices, healthy choices day by day to walk humbly before our God. And as we do that, as we therefore keep our eyes fixed on him, let's build together those walls again for the glory and honor of our majestic king, the king of all kings, the great I am, our loving heavenly father who we can trust totally and absolutely. If you want to be doing that, can I invite you to stand together? Thomas, you're not going to appreciate this, but could you go back into Song Pro for me, please? One of the songs we were singing in our worship, I can't actually remember what the song title is, but the chorus of it, or one of the verses, I'm not sure, was Majesty, Lord of All. Let every bit... Sorry? Crown Him, thank you. Could we just have those words up? Can you just read those words? Majesty. You don't need to read them out. Just read them in your own heart. Lord of all. Let every throne before him fall. The king of kings. That's who he is. Oh, come adore. Wow. Our God who reigns forevermore. This is our God. And he's calling us to bow the knee. It'd be very easy for me to lead us in prayer at this point, but actually what I want to do is say, each of us are responsible to God for our own lives. So why don't you now take an opportunity to reflect on what we've been looking at this morning? And why don't you commit yourself? And if there's things which need confessing or repenting of, why not do it now? If you need to commit yourself and just say, yeah, I want to live this way, Lord. I want to make these choices. Help me. Why not do that now? Maybe it's just you need to know the Holy Spirit more in your life, helping you to make those choices, to clothe yourself with humility. God's here. Seek him while he may be found. 
So I'm going to shut up. It's over to you. And just as the wind blows through the building, as the storm's building outside, let the wind of God just blow through your life now. Majesty, Lord of all, let every throne before him fall. The King of Kings, O Commodore, our God who reigns forevermore. The Lord bless you with his amazing grace. Know the grace of God. Know the friendship of God's Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you, directing you and revealing the greatness of God, the majesty of God. And let him be sufficient for all your wants, for all your needs. For the glory and honor of his name. Thank you so much. Amen. We will finish at this point. If you want somebody, though, to help you to work through something that's come up today, please make your way to the front. People will be available. Otherwise, refreshments are going to be served. And if you've got kids downstairs, please don't forget to uh, go and find your kids and redeem them. Thank you.